Hey, it's Dan Pierce. Hope you're having a great day so far. Um, I am excited to get into today's podcast. This one is one for the parents out there who are struggling. Um, a lot of schools are currently closed, so parents are finding themselves in the situation of being both the educator and the parent. Uh, and a lot of parents are having, you know, their own financial insecurity issues with work. So. I just figured it would be a great time to bring in um, some experts to talk to you about that. Uh, I've got a really great guest for you. His name is Daniel Patterson from Patterson's Perspective, and he is an author and experienced educator who works with all kinds of programs and schools to really help them understand their students better and to serve the needs of their students better. So check it out. If you have any questions, please find um, us in the Mentally Fit community at community.joinmentallyfit.com. Uh, and that's free to join right now because of the whole COVID-19 situation. We just want to help as many people as possible. So please get in there, come ask questions. Uh, we can definitely get any of your questions answered. And again, that's community.joinmentallyfit.com. I'm really excited to get into this talk, and uh, I hope you are too. Let's do it. So what's going on, man? How are, how are you holding up? What's, what's new? Uh, it's been wild, to be honest. Um, I'm fine. I'm, yeah. I think I'm okay. Uh, a little bit of shock and awe. I think everyone is going through that, right? Um, yeah. But with the kids at home especially it's been challenging to try to get any work done with an eight-year-old a four-year-old and a two-year-old that's a lot on a regular day I'm sure yeah <laughs> and since we can't leave the house and it's pouring rain um, it's been even more strange but work has been fine I mean so far so good in terms of like still people need help with education almost probably more than they did before in a certain sense um, but it will just be, you know, with the economy, just in t terms of like what people, I'm definitely an add on service. So, you know, those are usually the first to go mm. first to go. Yeah. What kind of challenges are you hearing from your clients? What are they experiencing in this whole situation? I think the primary, uh, roadblock is, you know, what do I do with my kids all day? And in, in the same mm -hmm. in the same thing that I'm fighting on a toddler front or elementary front, but for high school kids. So how do you keep them on some semblance of a routine? Because for them, at least at first, the initial reaction of a teenager is that this is just the best thing ever, right? I can just uh, stay. <laughs> I mean, dream come true. Stay home, yeah. play video games, watch Netflix. Uh I have no homework. I can sleep in. I can't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, so just trying to get them, get them in a motion of school or structure. That's not militant, but that's, you know, something that they could sustain over however long this happens, which I think will probably be at least eight weeks. Mm -hmm. And a lot of schools, public schools aren't going to go back to school at all this year. Oh, wow. So this is the that's wild. Yeah, this is the new normal for families, and and the private schools are have launched immediately into online. Most of them have the infrastructure, they have the resource, and they don't have as many loopholes in terms of equity. 
that would hold mm-hmm. them up, you know, public school rightfully so has so many more equity issues in terms of you can't assume everyone has an iPad at home or a Chromebook or, right. or internet really, or even a parent there that's going to be able to help them because a lot of up until the full stop, a lot of people's parents still are going to work, need to work, need to be working. So it'll just, yeah. it'll be really interesting to see, um, what happens. Um, generally speaking, I feel like every school public school will have to promote every single kid, regardless of if they did one piece of work or not, because it's really unenforceable. And from an equity position, you can't expect uh, a student in the low income urban housing, whose parents are working multiple jobs to have the same support system that like a one percenter is going to have in terms of being able to establish a system and provide support. It's nuts. Yeah. So what are parents doing? What are they doing in that situation uh, if they don't have the resources or what can they do? Well, the public schools, um, at least in our, in our district down here in Orange County, um, Saddleback, you know, any student can check out a Chromebook from the school. To, to use for the rest of the year. And the internet providers are providing free internet. If you call, they give you a number to call and they'll provide you with a free hotspot um, for your child to do their learning. Um, or if you don't want either of those two, they can just give you packets of work to do. But again, at this point, there's not really any direct instruction, you know? Mm. So my third grader has zoom calls with her teacher occasionally where she, where the teacher will say, okay, this week, these are the things you guys need to work on. Um, but then after that, it's up to like me as a parent, my wife as a parent to get in there and try to establish a place for them to do it, a way for them to do it, a time for them to do it, um, the encouragement to do it. Um, and luckily I have a background in education having taught for 10 years So I'm all over it. You know, I'm doing school in my garage a few hours a day with my kids, but I feel like that's so rare, you know, for a typical, (laughs) a typical parent doesn't, doesn't have that skill set. or, I mean, I enjoy it. I enjoy teaching. So for me, it's fun and it's a good distraction from the doom and gloom of the news. Um, Yeah. But for this, this will be a very, um, they talk about the, the summer slide. I don't know if you've ever heard that term, but they call it the summer slide, the time between when kids are out of school and come back to school, the, the amount of information that they lose versus retain is pretty vast. Hmm. Um, but, but science shows, data shows, especially in, in elementary school children, the primary driver is just reading. So for... My, for, for parents I'm talking to, forget everything, forget, just do what you can. But if you can do nothing else with your kids, have them read and read with them and do that every day, a few times a day. And that will just keep the, the cognitive wheels in motion and it will help their brain continue to stay in that learning zone hmm. and do anything and like anything creative exploratory in the garden building playing all of that is learning it's not as formalized as we think it is or as we're used to but it's a hundred times better than just sitting and 
watching TV all day, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I know a lot. Um, I've spoken to a lot of parents and it seems like, you know, they're ranging from taking it pretty well to like, I'm completely losing my mind and <laughs> my kids are like killing me. I need to work. And, you know, not only are they unable to work or they're adapting to, you know, working remotely, um, they're also adapting to being with the kids all day, having to take care of them all day. So I think it's like a huge, on a lot of parents, it's like a double whammy where they're adapting to a new work situation. They're adapting to a new school situation and it's all happening all at once. Yeah. It's a tsunami. It's, I was telling my wife, yeah. it feels like I'm on, we're in a high tech little house on the prairie. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, we are all by ourselves. Um, we have lots of distractions and ways to stay connected, but trying to put it together. And, and last week was, you know, we're entering the second week. So I feel like last week was just sort of, complete survival mode and in a lot of ways for families it's just going to be survival mode for, for, until this stabilizes and I, I think that's okay as long as you're using healthy coping skills and trying to um, create a structure that's doable you know because right out of right out of the gates all over Instagram and lots of mommy bloggers no, no offense to them come out with these super ambitious color-coded schedules you know it's like <laughs> yeah. yeah that's great that looks really well it trends well it gets like retweeted however at least i know from my reality that i'm just trying to keep the wheels moving i i, I can't go at that kind of overarching structure that's so militant or so confining that it basically makes you feel like you're failing constantly if you're not adhering to it oof i feel that yeah <laughs> so we just i we're just going more toward the um these are the, these are the items that we'd like to accomplish today like i need to work for this many hours my wife would like to work for this many hours and we're very blessed that we still have jobs that we can do remotely whereas i know a lot of my friends have completely lost their jobs yeah. So not only are they dealing with the trauma of economic uncertainty and your professional career ending abruptly, and then you have to try to compartmentalize that and then support your kids and, and sort of isolate them a little bit from the trauma that you're experiencing and the anxiety you're experiencing so that they can stay in motion as children and not have to absorb all of that stress also. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. So we just do um, like for our kids, for example, it's like, I want you to do 20 minutes of reading and work on math for 20 minutes and work on your history for 20 minutes. And, and then they can pick it. It's a choose your own adventure, you know, do them when you want, but, but we need you to do them. So gives them some choice, but doesn't pigeonhole us into a schedule that where everyone feels like we're moving like a factory line or something. Yeah. Cause that's not fun. No one wants to be like a cog in a machine. You kind of right. want to have some, some room for freedom there. Yeah, I know. Um, so I like, I like your concept of sort of keeping it simple. Um, can you sort of give me an example of how a parent might create their own? Uh, Cause I'd like anyone who's listening to this to be able to come away from it and be like, okay, I do need some structure. Uh, how would they go about creating that structure? Like, what's your thought process around how you divide the time and like what assignments you're assigning? Just walk me through that a little bit, if you could. Well, I, I look at it as breaking it down into three levels of priority. You know, like 
level one would be these are are like the urgencies and level two are things that if we get to them we like to but if we don't they can wait till tomorrow and then the third would be just you know things for decompression or leftover time so for for us the way that we're structuring it for family it's like what are the musts that we must do like you know i have to work for a certain amount of hours my wife needs to work for a certain amount of hours but we also have to have our kids have play time and learning time and rest time and, and make sure we're keeping them on a meal, you know, like a sleep eat schedule that's normal so that they don't get completely feral during this experience, <laughs> you know, but, but also just like being patient and, and understanding that this is such an anomaly and such a weird space that, instead of structuring it out hour by hour, I just like to figure out what are the core priorities for the day or for the week and put them. What we're doing is we write those priorities on sticky notes. We have them on a mirror in order. So there's like five sticky notes at the top and then five below it and five below it. And then you pick one off to accomplish. And then once it's done, you throw it away. And you try to get through all 15 sticky notes or whatever during the day. But again, it's choose your own adventure and don't feel like you can't bob and weave. And if you don't get to the ones that are on the second or third level, who cares? Try to figure out what's your most, like your top priority um, for success. Um, But that top priority can't just be work. You know, some of the top priorities in this time need to be child facing, parent facing, Uh, like as a, yes, you need to provide for your family financially, but also you need to show up for your child emotionally and, 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 Mm. and be present. So on that top line in our house, like not only is work at top priority, but then there's some specific things that we would like to do with our kids or an experience with our kids that are on the same level of priority as, as work, even though it feels like maybe that should be last or should be left over. I think in this new model, we're looking at more of like a holistic approach to coexisting as a family. And this is such a beautiful time gift. We've been given this really odd gift of time together as a family that we haven't had for years because we're coming and going and working and ah, overwhelmed. Yeah. So just like flipping the perspective, like, how do you want to use your time and make sure that it's congruent with the bigger picture and not just the immediate panic of economics? For sure. Nice. Yeah. I like that strategy a lot. Um, and I'm sure a lot of parents out there can like definitely make use of that. Um, so for anyone watching, definitely let us know uh, in any of the groups that you're in with us, like if that method would work for you or if you have any follow-up questions for Daniel Um, you know, I know this is something that a lot of people are struggling with, like, and again, it's a tsunami, like, you know, you said, Daniel, uh, so it's totally normal to feel overwhelmed right now. Uh, Right. And yeah, we're hoping we can help you get out of that. Um, I know one thing I've been getting asked a lot by parents, uh, of both like three-year-olds through like high school is, uh, how do I keep them occupied like during the day, do you know of any good, I know PBS is offering free content. Um, what are some sources of content and information and education that they can, that par- parents and families can find online um, sure. that might be useful during this time? Well, I know with the younger kids, um, 
that ABC, I think it's ABC Mouse. I think that's what it's, it's an app. Um, ABC Learning, ABC Mouse. There's commercials for it, like on the Disney Channel. But um, that used to be a $10 a month uh, subscription and it's waived, it's free. And so that's, nice. that's really great for our four-year-old um, because, you know, with a third, I have a third grader, so it's easy for me to construct learning and, and they so they send home like worksheets that are very logical and sequential to do. But when you have that younger range and you don't just want to put them on YouTube kids for, or watching puppy dog pals till the end of time, <laughs> um, something like ABC learning, ABC mouse, uh, the, those at least, you know, they feel like games in a sense, but they're, they're learning some of those skill building like numbers and letters and colors and shapes and <clears throat> doing things like that, excuse me, that are um, a better use of their time. Um, I also know that, and I've learned this through Christmas, right? Because I will give my kids presents and we will wrap them and they will spend more time playing with a box than they will with a <laughs> present. So one thing I've been doing is going into my garage and getting all kinds of just knickknacks and just random things and creating a space for them to like a maker space, essentially. Think of everything that you have in your house that's random and give them some tape and some glue and cardboard and scissors and old pieces of screws and pipings and anything you can find and create a maker space in your house and in your garage or on your patio and, and let them construct things. That takes them hours to do it uses so many parts of their brain and um, critical thinking skills and, and problem solving skills and trial and error. And um, that's a good way for them to have a quiet activity. That's a self self-contained activity. That's not technology driven. Nice. I love that. Yeah. It's important to have like a mix. Like you don't want to be plugged into YouTube all day. Not that it's bad, uh, but definitely mixing it up using different parts of the brain. It sounds like is key. Yeah. Uh, and just involving creativity. Yeah. Like the other day we made, um, I help, had my girls help me design and build a gigantic fort, like of all, <laughs> the biggest fort in the world in our living room. Nice. I, we took every pillow, chair, blanket. <laughs> uh, we took brooms and we like made <laughs> vaulted ceilings. We took, we took camping lights and put lamps in there. And we create, oh, wow. created a space for them so that they could read and relax and do art. And they felt like they had their own little domain in our house. So something like that, that took hours to do and plan and build. And it was really fun. But the, the benefit on the other side as a parent is that then it bought me like eight hours of time that then I could <laughs> repurpose to do the things that I needed to do as a parent, like working or getting organized, networking, things like that. Um, so the two hour investment of actually constructing it bought me eight hours of time to do what I needed to do. And it's about leveraging and capturing that time. So investing in the kids first and creating an infrastructure and a pathway for them to feel successful and happy and autonomous um, yielded me time to do what I needed to do without the parent guilt or just, you know, pacifying them with whatever's easy to watch on TV. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's a great, 
great piece of advice. I'm just imagining uh, this castle right now, and it, it sounds and looks in my mind amazing. So you guys, it was it was pretty. <laughs> commend epic. you on that. <laughs> yeah, and, and we and we live in a very small. I mean, we live in a small house. We have we have a small three bedroom, two bath house, which we're lucky to have. But you know, we don't have tons of space to spread out. So, um, a lot of our focus point is like not getting so territorial over like the norms that we would traditionally carry about like this is my space and that's your space and you know you need to clean up everything yeah. instantly it's just letting go of some of those picking your battles and understanding where you want to spend your emotional equity like i don't have the emotional equity to you know claim territory and clean up all your things but <laughs> but i do have um the ability to say okay this is you know this part of the house you guys go nuts do what you need to do um, but I need to be working here over here. So you need to, um, you know, kind of like right now I'm in the garage recording this. And, and so this is my, my little safe haven at this point. Nice. Yeah. Separating space and having like your own space to work, giving them their own space, uh, to do their thing. That sounds like a, a good use of the space and the time. Right. Um, then every, I want to make sure that, oh yeah, go ahead. What I was going to say in every, in every, Every, every house is different. I mean, some people are living in, in very small spaces. And, and so it's just about not getting hung up on that and just, you know, what works for me might not work for you. But I think the, the baseline here is trying to come up with some shared understanding and include, I like to include our kids in the agenda. So right now in the mornings, we talk about what the day is going to look like. What is today going to look like? Because kids in school thrive in structure and they're used to such a reliable schedule. Their teachers keep them on a very structured routine. As you're older in middle school and high school, you have a bell schedule. And even though kids resent structure, they thrive in it. So yeah. um, the learning curve for us, and, and again, I had the advantage of knowing that just being an educator though, is if we go over in the morning kind of like circle time, you know, this is what we need to do. These are our priorities. So we do our sticky notes. Like these are the five things that we really need to get done today. And so we need to work together to make sure that we can each accomplish these. And, you know, two of these are work and two of these are family. And one of these is something else. And then below that, if we can get through these five guys, then look at these 10 other fun things that we can do together and, and give them some choice of what, what, what they want those other items to be it creates a sense of ownership in the child. So they're not just being told what to do. They have that shared understanding that in the decision-making process and then throughout the day, it's so easy to refer to the priorities and look at the list and make it really simple so that everyone's working together and you get away from feeling like you're the police, you know, like that you're the, mm. you're the marshal of the town and they're fearful of you the, the whole time. Yeah. That definitely does not definitely doesn't achieve the results you want either. Usually, I think. No. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that sounds like that would be like a really great. Uh, you know, if you do have any kind of handout or process written down for that, um, we could definitely share that. It's a very interesting. Like it's a small little method, but I think adding that structure to to their day for any parent is going to be like a major shift in, you know, the amount of free time and energy that they have like dealing with their kids at home. Yeah, I, I, I'm happy to um, share that with you guys. Absolutely. 
Cool. Yeah. So we'll grab, we'll get that and we'll send it out to the email list and post it up in the groups um, after this podcast and make sure to check over there. I want to make sure that we uh, talk about your book because you just dropped uh, your latest book. You're like a serial author, but this is the newest one you put out Uh, five stars on Amazon. It's called recover EDU, a communication guide for addressing mental health in schools. And um, yeah, I mean, I thought that was really an interesting topic and I'm especially interested to hear like, is it relevant now? Like, or how relevant is it today in this changing environment? And what do you think needs to be done? Well, to be honest, this could be the worst time and or the best time to release a book on this material, right? Um, (laughs) And I'm living that every day. But the the book is really designed for educators, but it's also has a ton of material in it for parents. And guess what? Parents, you guys are now the teachers. So it talks a lot about how to identify and triage and deal with and understand the signs and symptoms and solutions of adolescent mental health and um, what to look for, how to have conversations, how to practice your own self-care so you're not passing down negative coping skills to your students who are now your students and your children. Um, And one thing that is particularly important, I believe, is that when we come out of this, we're gonna have a significant amount of children that have elevated anxiety PTSD, depression um, from, the, from the after effects of this economically, emotionally. Um, you know, it's easy to assume that every child in a home is living in a good home right now, <clears throat> but they could be living with uh, a parent that is in, in active addiction or has a severe mental health disorder. So this book is a really, is a tool and it's a conversation starter and on Amazon right now, given everything that's going on, I put the ebook on for only 99 cents. Because to me, the message is so important. And by reading it, you could definitely change the way that you're seeing your child's mental health. Because maybe you're dismissing it as typical adolescent or teenage behavior. But this will provide you with a lot of infrastructure of how to navigate this. Because um, we could very well be parenting and teaching in this homeschool parenting model for a long time. We have no idea how long it's going to last. Um, so it's it's a quick read, it's a short read, and it's a story driven. It's a story driven book. So it's not just me telling you what to do. In fact, I'm not a clinician. I'm an educator. So what I did was I interviewed parents and students and teachers and cl- clinicians and innovators in the industry. And tells a lot of stories, and um, I think it's useful for any audience, especially now. Nice. Yeah, in the description of the book, you talked a little bit about, um, like, the common blind spots when it comes to mental health um, with schools and parents. Uh, Sorry, mental health with teens as it relates to their parents and the schools helping them. What are those blind spots? Well, uh, the blind spots are, are... are kicking the can down the road. Um, essentially, a major blind spot is when parents think, <clears throat> my child has a 4.0, they play varsity sport, it seems like they have friends, um, then they're probably fine. And we, we assume, assume, assume that there's no addiction or mental health disorder um, brewing within them. Um, my call to action is for every parent to take their child to the clinician as much as they take them to the dentist, which is twice a year at minimum. 
Um, we don't wait for our child's teeth to fall out before we take them to the dentist. So why do we wait for a mental health crisis before we utilize the tools of a therapist? Especially now with telehealth, it's so easy. I mean, even me as an adult, like I'm trying to lead by example. This, this whole coronavirus has been very stressful on me as a parent, as a business owner, as an author, as a human and friend. I have a telehealth appointment with my therapist today at 2 p.m. Nice. Um, because I can reach out and do that. So uh, a blind spot is not activating the process for mental health and, until it becomes too late. Um, and then the crisis has become exponentially larger than it probably could have been had you had them screened for depression or anxiety or any other disorder early. Um, another blind spot is again writing everything off as typical adolescent behavior oh they're just mean to me because they're this is kids are like this or they only isolate because kids are like this or they're only um completely obsessed with technology because teens are like this mm. when when in reality a lot of those are very like those are you know red flags warning signs isolative behavior or aggression things that we marginalize because as parents, nobody wants, you don't want to think anything is wrong with your child. So we pretend like it doesn't exist. Yeah. Uh, and then schools, essentially, I mean, I, having worked in public schools for 14 years, a lot of it is, I don't want to see it or acknowledge it because I don't want to have to deal with it. And I don't know how to deal with it. And I don't want to be responsible for it. So we get into the business of outsourcing our students. Like, yeah, you can have mental health disorder, but you need to unenroll and go deal with it at that PHP or residential center or IOP um, rather than integrating more of a fabric of a, a catch, a catch and save model within the school so that they can be accessing education and also working on their mental health at the same time. Nice. Yeah, I love that. I think that would be like critical. I mean, I'm sure we're losing lots of kids that have to get, I mean, I myself was one of those kids that had to get completely taken out of school, um, right. disrupt the whole process to do, you know, addiction treatment. So, you know, I definitely, I get that one for sure. Yeah. And then just looking for ways to systemically and as a community change the way that we talk about addiction and mental health, because in my experience, having been, I mean, and I'm in recovery and I've grown up with mental health disorder for so often it was just characterized as like a moral defect or a yeah. character defect. And it's not, it's, it's neither of the, of those things. And the analogy that I use is this, if we treated it like we did other diseases that needed treatment, we would have a lot more empathy. And mm -hmm. um, I, I advocate for students and sort of square up with schools quite often when a child needs extra support in the addiction space or mental health space. And the school is telling them that they have to completely disenroll. And my line back is, would you be doing this if this child had leukemia and had to go get extensive treatment? Right. No, you wouldn't. You would do anything. You'd bend over backwards. You'd mail them their homework. You send a teacher to their house. So we have to, we have to clear that line and, and, treat them as one mechanism within the medical space. 
Yeah, absolutely. We're huge proponents of that um, at Mentally Fit. That's one of the driving, uh, you know, forces behind what we're doing is we want to make mental health a normal part of everyday life. So I really appreciate That's the right. work you're doing and um, all that you're contributing to that cause. Like, it's just so important um, for you. parents. Yeah, thank you. For parents that, um, you know, need a little extra help uh, applying some of these skills or just want to talk to somebody who understands um, are you available to chat with people or how can people reach out uh, to connect with you? Yeah, I, I, I am accessible. Um, honestly, the easiest way to get a hold of me is through Instagram. Um, I am that guy. Um, <laughs> my handle <laughs> is at Patterson Perspective. But, you know, you can DM me and then through that we can have a conversation or pattersonperspective.com is my website. You can get a hold of me that way. I consider myself a conduit. So I am, I'm an educator in education space and I can solve almost any educational roadblock there is. But what I'm best at is also getting to know the family and child and pairing them with a clinician who, who fits them, who I think will mesh with them. Kind of like, kind of like dating. You have to date a few people, you know, before you find the one. And so based on getting to know a family and their needs and their budget and their circumstances, I help identify what resource would be most appropriate for them. And I do it independent of any obligation to any center or clinician. I'm not affiliated with one. I don't get a kickback from anyone. I do it what's best for, for that child or for that parent. Excellent. Yeah. Daniel Patterson is an amazing resource. Follow him on Instagram. Um, he's always posting really helpful tips on there as well. So if you're on there anyways, might as well be learning some new stuff. Um, and yeah, Daniel, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. And, and thank you for the work that you're doing in the mental health space and the professional space. You're, you're a go-getter and I, I appreciate your work. <laughs> Thanks a lot. That means a lot coming from you. All right, brother. I'll talk to you later. All right. There you have it. I hope that was uh, helpful information. And again, we would love to have you join us in the Mentally Fit community at community.joinmentallyfit.com. And uh, you can also reach out to Daniel Patterson directly on Instagram or on his website. Uh, we'll include links to both of those in the show notes in case you want to connect with him. He's a really great guy and a good friend of mine, so uh, it's just really a pleasure to talk to him today, and uh, he's always a major wealth of information when it comes to education, uh, and especially for parents and families of teens who are having a little trouble, needing a little extra help, uh, which is totally normal. I think a lot of us do growing up, so he is a major resource, so please do reach out to him, connect with him, follow him on Instagram, buy the book, um, and just plug into what he's putting out there because it's really great stuff. All right, I hope to talk to you soon uh, in the community, and I hope you're having a great day. We'll see you next time. Bye.